Well, I would invite you to turn to a chapter and verse, but you don't have any chapters and verses, do you? You've, you've been reading without them. But anyway, this morning uh, I want to bring a message from uh, Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 16 and 17. And um, as we uh, consider that, you know, we've been reading uh, this past week um, a lot of just rich, rich uh, portions of Scripture. And um, not that it all isn't valuable, of course it is, but... Um, 2 Corinthians uh, has some amazing things uh, to say to us. And then you get into Galatians and the first eight chapters of Romans. And as you consider uh, Galatians and Romans, and the first eight chapters are primarily the, the didactic portion, the teaching segment. Once we get past that, we go into that uh, parenthetical. I, I think it's a parenthetical statement, but uh, uh, it's arguably a part of God's uh, or a part of Paul's argument. Um, but uh, as soon as we uh, get into chapter 12, uh, Paul begins to make the practical application of all that he's been saying in terms of, okay, how then should we live? And uh, we'll be getting into that Monday. But uh, we've read Galatians and we've read uh, Romans uh, 1 through 8 this week. And those two uh, segments of Scripture, the letter to the Galatians and the, the didactic portion of the letter to Romans, uh, outlines the heart and soul and message of the gospel as clearly as anything possibly can. Uh, Paul makes it as, as plain and as uh, obvious as he can possibly make it uh, about the good news of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask the question this morning and then attempt to answer it from Romans 1, 16 to 17. What is the gospel? And... As soon as we ask the question, the first thing uh, I want to do is give a definition because uh, gospel simply means good news. The gospel is good news. That's the, the meaning of the word. And uh, when you think about good news, uh, you kind of have to ask the question, well, why do we need good news? Is there bad news? <laughs> Uh, is, is there an issue? Uh, is there something that the gospel addresses that uh, we need to understand? And I read not long ago, and it was something that, um, that I hadn't really thought about. It was uh, uh, an article on apologetics uh, explaining and sharing the faith to, uh, to unbelievers, and particularly um, uh, in, in a post-Christian, post-modern kind of setting, uh, and it pointed out uh, something that, um, I, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me, but it's pretty obvious. Every person on the planet, if they're at all thoughtful, realizes that we have a problem. That something is wrong. And uh, whether you're going about it, uh, the solution to it in a very humanistic way, i.e., 
Um, as we go along, we can get better and better. We can address our issues. We can begin to hammer them out. Uh, we can talk. We can negotiate. We can ultimately find solutions as humanity uh, improves itself. The very necessity of improving itself points out the reality that there's a problem. And no one can look at the world or, or the people in the world in any geographical location and say, wow, we don't have any problems. We have tremendous problems. We have huge problems. Uh, we not only have natural problems, I mean, my goodness, look at what's happening uh, along the eastern seaboard right now with what they're saying is uh, perhaps the worst blizzard, that uh, the, one of the five worst blizzards that has occurred uh, in recorded weather history in that portion of the country. Um, look at uh, what happens around the world in terms of natural phenomena. There, there are those kinds of problems. We have health problems. Um, we are constantly uh, dealing with uh, sickness and we're battling illness. And just as soon as we figure out how to uh, eradicate one with some kind of vaccine or another, uh, a new crop of, of chronic uh, kinds of uh, disease pops up. And we're constantly dealing with that. Or... Uh, the real problem that uh, is frustrating and confusing and besetting to, to human beings is the fact that we just have problems getting along. We have problems with ourselves. We have emotional difficulties. We have habits that we wish we didn't have. Uh, we damage one another, sometimes intentionally and deliberately, and sometimes... Uh, without intending to, but nonetheless, it's, it's just the consequence of, uh, you know, banging shoulders together in, in, in the world and running into trouble with one another. And so there's conflict and there are wars and rumors of wars, as the Scripture says. And when you look at the human condition, you don't have to be a Christian under any circumstances to understand that the world has trouble. Human beings have trouble. And so when you, when you look at uh, humanity from that perspective, we could use some good news. Uh, we could use some news that helps us to explain the problem and also some news that helps us to solve the problem. And that is the essence of the gospel. It is good news to people that are in trouble. It's good news to people that are struggling with sin issues. It's good news, even if they don't call it that. It's good news to people that are wrestling with life's most profound questions, one of which is being, what happens when I die? Is there life after death? Is there, is there hope beyond the grave? Uh, does life have more meaning than this uh, present life that we can see? And so the gospel is good news. But why is it good news? And that's Paul's explanation in Romans 1, 16 and 17. If you haven't already uh, sorted it out, this is the, um, the thesis 
of Romans. It's also the thesis of Galatians, uh, although it's not recorded this way in the book. But it's the thesis of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, because in it, that is in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous one, the just, shall live by faith. And Paul begins to explain the gospel that first and foremost, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is good news because it does not rely on our strength. It doesn't rely on our power. It comes from outside of ourselves and comes to us in a way that brings the power of God. And when you think of His vast power, you think of the galaxies and and you think of the universe that He has made, and you think of the world and all the things that are in it, uh, and you think of what God is able to do, the most amazing thing that He is able to do is to change a life. That He's able to change our hearts. That, that He can come into us who are broken and habit-driven and, and have our own quirks and our own personality problems and defects and that He can come to us and through His mighty power that He can actually change us. That, that I don't have to continue to be the same. And it doesn't rely on my ability to change myself. It relies on the power of God. And it's the power of God that is uh, available to everyone who believes. It's the power for salvation. You know, salvation is one of those words that we have unfortunately isolated uh, to the concept of escaping hell and going to heaven. You know, and when you say, are you saved? Uh, basically, at least in my tradition, growing up in the South, uh, when we said, are you saved? What we wanted to know was, are you going to heaven? Uh, have you had the forgiveness of sin uh, that gains you entrance into heaven? But salvation is so much more than Going to heaven. In fact, if you look at the good news of the gospel closely, what you come to realize is that heaven and eternal life in the presence of God, but heaven is a natural byproduct of being saved. That salvation goes much deeper and results in such that heaven is the only logical place that we can go if we are, in fact, saved by the grace and the power of God. Salvation deals with our deepest human problems. It goes to the depths of what's wrong with us. 
It deals with what's broken. Salvation saves us from ourselves. It saves us from our destructive habits. It saves us from interpersonal interaction that is damaging to relationships. It teaches us how to keep our mouths shut when they ought to be shut. It teaches us how to listen when we ought to be listening. Uh, Salvation goes to the root of my defective parts. And it redeems me from those. And furthermore, it deals with my sin history. Salvation covers the problem that I've had with God. It looks at all of those ways that I have broken His law. And it cleanses me from the guilt of that. And removes the punishment. And gives me the freedom uh, that comes through Jesus Christ of going back to the Father without shame. Without um, hesitancy. We can come boldly to His presence. In fact, instead of being terrified by an awesome God, we can come to Him boldly as our Heavenly Father and relate to Him personally in that way. Salvation deals with everything that is broken. And it heals the relationship with God, and it, and it heals my inner self, and it deals with my problems, and ultimately it also restores to me eternal life in the presence of God, so that when I die, I am assured that I'm not dying. Even though this body quits, I will go on in the presence of God, and one day I will be resurrected. This body will be resurrected, and I will be reunited uh, in the presence of God forever. And this salvation is available to everyone who believes. It's it's not something uh, that is based on works and the kinds of things that, that I have to do Uh, to somehow satisfy God's requirements. It comes to me on the basis of faith. If I stop right there, we have incredibly good news, don't we? Isn't that good news? That by the power of God, I can be restored and healed on the basis of faith alone, without the addition of any works or effort on my part. You know, this is the stumbling block of the gospel. We have a saying in our culture, there's no free lunch. And what we mean by that is, um, you don't get anything for nothing. Um, there's a price tag somewhere. And if you think you're getting a free lunch, somebody wants something <laughs> besides lunch. 
And so there, there's something behind everything. You have to pay for whatever you get. Nothing comes free. And furthermore, we kind of justify that in our own minds. Well, of course you don't get something for nothing. You ought to pay for it. That's what gives you dignity. That's, that's what gives you uh, a sense of worth. Uh, you have earned it. You have, ex- you have spent your change on it, your money, uh, or your time, or uh, in some other way. You have deserved the promotion. You have worked hard for it. You have deserved the car you bought. You deserve the house. Whatever it is, uh, we feel like we uh, need to earn what we get. And we can say, uh, I, I bought that and I paid for that. Uh, through my own blood, sweat, and tears. I've earned that. And so, we, we have that mode of thinking, and that's the stumbling block of the Gospel. We come to God, and we have this great need. And we say, what can I do to merit your favor? What can I do to earn your love? How can I gain salvation? As the rich uh, young man asked, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? And the answer is, there's nothing you can do. You cannot pay for your sin. The debt is too enormous. You, you don't have the resources. You cannot atone for your own failures and sinfulness. You cannot earn my favor. In and of yourself, you have broken my law. You have violated my character. You have offended me. You deserve eternal punishment. And you cannot pay for an eternal debt with a temporal life. And so, the only way you can have salvation is if I give it to you without cost. Now, it did cost something. It cost Jesus Christ His life and death on the cross. But it cost me nothing. God makes the offer available. If I will simply put my faith and trust and confidence in what He has done. Paul tells us that the gospel is the mystery that was hidden uh, in all the ages past, but revealed finally in Jesus Christ. Um, If you have uh, completed the reading for this week, you've read Galatians, and you know that Paul talks in there about a guardian, Uh, about uh, the law, which was our schoolmaster, as it were, uh, our guardian that um, kept us uh, until the time when uh, 
the salvation by grace could be revealed. When we get to Colossians, uh, we're going to learn in the early paragraphs of Colossians that um, this is a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the mystery that was hidden from ages past but has now been revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, the good news uncovers the mystery for us of salvation that is available through Jesus Christ. It's, it's a gift, as I have emphasized, that uh, exchanges our pitiful effort for His perfect holiness. But here's the thing. Salvation is not only the forgiveness of sins that we have committed, all of our pitiful efforts, all of our vain efforts have ultimately failed and fallen short. And when we are redeemed and saved by the power of God, we have made available to us a righteousness, a holiness, that is not only uh, given to us completely at the moment of salvation, but an unending supply is provided for us day by day. Notice what Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein a righteousness from God. Now, uh, probably you have read the righteousness of God is revealed. And uh, I, I just want to, um, this is one of those little things, remember what I told you about translations last week? <laughs> this is one of those little things where we have some options. And uh, the, the little prepositional phrase there, um, can be translated in a couple of ways, and, and I'll never forget my New Testament professor, uh, Dr. Earl Smith, who, by the way, uh, had not only memorized the entire New Testament in several English translations, but he had also memorized it in Greek. And uh, so he, he, he would often stop in class, and he says, now, now, this translation says this, and this one says this, and then here's what the Greek says, and he would write that on the board, you know, just off the top of his head. It was like, wow. And, and he, I, I'll never forget him saying in class when we got us taking Romans from him, and he said, listen, the righteousness of God is not good news. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That is not good news. That is bad news. It's like saying, for in it, the law is explained. Because that is the righteousness of God. And you say, but I have failed. In fact, if you tell me about the righteousness of God, I just feel worse and worse because I have miserably failed. But that little prepositional phrase can be 
translated equally as well, a righteousness from God. And friends, that is good news. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. In other words, it's not my righteousness that is revealed, nor is it His righteousness that is explained. But the mystery is that God is offering me a righteousness as a gift that I can receive by faith. I will give you my righteousness by faith. You realize when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I I realize that I have sinned. I, I know that I have broken your law. I have fallen short and I need a Savior. I need you to to save me and forgive me. And I need you to cleanse me. And I, and I I need you to give to me life eternal. I, I don't have this capacity. And God says, how about if I take your filthy rags and just throw them aside and give you my lovely white robe instead. How about if I give you my righteousness? Wow. Now when I stand in God's presence, I don't have to worry about that pile of filthy rags. I don't have to worry about those uh, shredded, dirty garments. I can go to Him with the robe of His righteousness, perfectly white and pure and holy, because in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. But it's not just a one-time thing. We frequently talk about, theologians like to talk about, imputed righteousness. You know, where it's credited to my account. This is a substitutionary righteousness on the basis of faith. I come to God in Christ and He gives me His righteousness. Once and for all, I am made holy and pure and clean and I have justification in His presence. I am completely Uh, absolved of all the guilt of sin, and I can stand clean and pure in His presence. But what about back here on earth? (laughs) What about tomorrow? What about uh, my lack of patience? Uh, What about my lack of self-control? What about my harshness and my um, callousness? And what about my sour attitude? And what about my anger? What what am I going to do with that? Well, a righteous gift from God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, the righteous... One will live by faith. 
Live today. Live tomorrow. Live next week. Live next month. That God not only gives to me His perfect righteousness as a gift, but He makes available to me His power for righteousness on a daily basis. It's like that waterfall that just goes and goes and goes, and I can't exhaust it. It just runs forever, it seems. I can dip out a cup full or a bucket full or a whole boatload of it today. Whatever I need to appropriate for the the difficulties I'm facing. And when I wake up tomorrow, it's like I never even put a finger in the water. There's a whole fresh supply. And then the next day, there's a fresh supply. I am given God's righteousness every day as a renewed uh, blessing for my life. I started to say commodity, but whatever you want to look at it as, I'm given the righteousness of God on a daily basis to empower me to live Godly in Christ Jesus. You remember reading in Galatians toward the end where Paul says, now the deeds of the flesh are obvious and he lists a bunch of things. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that's love, that's joy, that's peace, it's patience, it's gentleness. It's goodness. It's self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God revealed in me. And how does that happen? It's the power of God. That I can live daily in His power. And He will produce in me this amazing righteousness that He makes available Uh, to me as a continuous supply. He tells us in Romans, (laughs) do you not understand that what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh? In other words, the problem with the law is not the law, the problem is me. The law is fine, I'm the, one with the, I'm the one with the problem. What the law could not do, weak as it was through my flesh, God did. Sending Jesus Christ, sending, giving Himself for sin, condemning sin in His flesh. How did He do that? He triumphed over it. Every time he was tempted, he won the battle. Every time he was confronted, he successfully evaded the sin. He, day after day, condemned sin in his body, in his flesh. So that in his death and resurrection, the righteousness of the law could be Fulfilled in me, not by me, but in me, who walks not after the flesh, but by the Spirit. 
I am given the power of the Holy Spirit to live godly in Christ Jesus. Not on my strength, not in my strength, but by His mighty power. The, the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus Christ has come into this world to redeem sinners so that we can rest in Him. To redeem us, to, 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 to buy us back, to reclaim us for Himself, to, to get us out of the morass of our wretchedness. It always happens, not always, but often happens when tragedy strikes someone's life and they ask the question, what did I do to deserve this? Why is God punishing me? What could I have done to... to, to to make this happen? And my answer is, and I pray that people can receive it, and I'm not saying there aren't times when there is direct cause and effect. There, there are those times. If you get stupid, sloppy, drunk, and drive your car into a telephone pole, there's direct cause and effect. What did you do? Well, you got drunk and then you drove. But that's not usually when people ask that question. They ask it when the answer is not obvious. They ask it when they don't know what, what, what's happened that, that I should deserve this from God. And my answer is, you didn't do anything. You did not do anything. We live in a world that's a mess. It's full of disease. It's full of disasters. It's full, full of foolish people. May not be your foolishness. We live in a world that has trouble because of sin. The general problem of sin, not your specific sin, but the general problem of sin. We live in a world that's broken. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this mess to lift us out of it, to give us hope to bring to us His life, to give us a future, to let us know this is not all there is. There is a wonderful place that He's preparing. And there's an eternity to enjoy it. In this world we will have tribulation, Jesus says. Not because we've done bad stuff, but in some cases because we're following Him. We get more tribulation. But, 
We have his presence. We have his promises. We have an amazing future. We have hope. He'll never leave us or forsake us. It's not that we've done something to deserve something. It's that we live in a broken world and God has come in Christ to rescue us and redeem us from that mess. He has come to save us from our wearied efforts at earning His favor. What can I do to get on God's good side? How, how can I make Him happy with me? What can I do to turn the tide? Oh, if I worked a little harder, if I gave a little more, if I, if I coached a little league, if I uh, became part of a charity, if I, what, what can I do? And he says, stop all that mess. You don't have to do anything. Just rest in me. And when I want you to do something, I'll empower you to do it. I'll give you the strength. But don't work to earn my favor. I already love you. I already love you. Just rest in me. And then he provides the power to do what we don't have the strength to do. You can't ask for more than that. This is good news. This is good news. Jesus has paid it all. And He has given me His Spirit to empower me to manifest His character and to rest in His love. Friends, do you know the good news of the Gospel? And is there any chance that you're here this morning and for the first time this made sense to you? For the first time, it's like, I, I never got that before. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life, but you never knew you could rest in Him, will you by faith reach out to Him this morning and say, Lord, I, I'm going to stop this silly working craziness that I, I'm constantly doing and, and I want to rest in who you are and what you offer. And if you're here this morning and you have never understood the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to redeem you, that you can't pay for it, he's already paid the price, but you can receive it as a gift. If you embrace Him, trust Him as Lord and Savior, turn from your effort and your struggle and your sin and turn to Him. And He will receive you with open arms. Father, thank You this morning for the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the Gospel. The power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile alike. For in it, a righteous gift has been 
uncovered. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Thank you that we can trust you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.